six weeks, I'm going to read you the Word of God from John chapter 17. This is the prayer of Jesus. It begins, after Jesus had said this, he looked toward heaven and he prayed. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they, they too may be truly sanctified. And my prayer is not for them alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me, and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, and to see my glory, 
the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Mark. I will be focusing this morning on the first five verses of what we just heard. So as mentioned, uh, we are beginning this new series in this morning in John 17 where Jesus prays for his disciples, including us. And as we look at this prayer over the next few weeks, I suggest that you read it yourself. I suggest you read it daily, perhaps a few times if you want, if you can make the time. And then, if you go back after reading that and decide to read the whole Gospel of John, and I think that you will see that this prayer is actually the basis for the entire Gospel. It flows out of this prayer, and it seeks to turn our whole and entire souls to embrace its intent and to live out the requests that are in this prayer. I'm convinced that John had this prayer in mind with everything that he wrote. I think we would see that once we go back and reread not only the gospel, but also his letters and even Revelation. So this morning, we're going to focus on these three, excuse me, these first five verses to start the series. So would you pray with me, please? Lord, lead us in this time as we examine your word. That you would apply it to our hearts and give us the grace to live into it and live out of it, to please you. Oh, Lord, that you would be glorified in our midst. And that we would love you more deeply and worship you more fervently. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So throughout Scripture, there have been a number of beautiful, powerful, deeply personal and passionate prayers, but none even come close to this prayer. This one is quite unique. This prayer stands alone as one that only Jesus, the Son of God, can say to his Father. It is centered on their eternal purpose and is personal and is intimate. And yet, he wanted us 
to hear it for our own edification. And to really come to know the heart of God and to see the glory of Christ. It is often referred to as a high priestly prayer of Christ. But I agree with some commentators that uh, it doesn't really fit that mold since nowhere in this prayer does he reference our sin or make confession in our behalf. It would be better described as the teacher's or the rabbi's prayer of petition for himself and also intercession for his students, for his disciples. It's his intercession. These first five verses especially focus our attention on the glory of Christ, the glory of Christ. And while the rest of the prayer actually flows out of that and addresses the means of glorifying Him and producing His glory in the church. So let's take a look at them. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. The hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. First two verses When Jesus had spoken these words connects us back to what Jesus had just finished teaching his disciples in chapters 13 through 16. This prayer wraps all that up and is somewhat of a a consummation of what went before. So this prayer wraps all that up and brings it before the Father in heaven. But then, with this prayer, we are taken back even further to an event in chapter 12. Jesus repeats a statement here that he had said there in the first, for the first time in his, in, in his ministry. The hour has come. The hour has come. When he was told that some Greeks wanted to see him in chapter 12, he replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And then at the beginning of chapter 13, John refers to the hour, tying it directly to the thoughts Jesus expressed in this prayer. Now, now, this is what he says, now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And then right after Judas left to make preparations to to betray him, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Up until then, he kept saying, my hour has not yet come. At the wedding of Cana, in chapter 2, very early on, 
He said, my hour has not yet come. In chapter 7, he said it again twice, and John said it of him again a third time. And again in chapter 8, his hour had not yet come. So what is that hour? Why is that so significant and repeated? And Jesus in such anticipation of it was zeal for it even, knowing what it was. Why does he tie it to his glory? Now, if we go back to John chapter 12 again, down to verses 27 and 28, we begin to get the answer. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. So what purpose is he talking about? Again, chapter 12, verses 32 and 33, it tells us, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die what John said. The glory of Christ, first of all, is wrapped up in that hour. And that hour led him to the cross. And because of his atoning sacrifice, there are many who are called out of this world to him. No wonder the fact that the Greeks wanted to meet him prompted this response. And so here Jesus prays for those whom the Father had given him out of the world. Now, it may seem strange to us that Jesus would uh, look forward so enthusiastically to an instrument of torture and death. And yet he found in the agony of the cross the glory of what would be achieved for us, our rescue from the bondage and the penalty of sin and its misery. Hebrews 12 says, He for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising its shame. According to John the Baptist in chapter 3 of John, and Paul in Ephesians, He gladly did this for His bride. That's who he came into the world for. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. In all of it, including his own glory, Jesus had the glory of God the Father as his primary purpose, as we ought to. If anyone was worthy of glory, which we sang about earlier, if anyone is worthy of that glory, certainly it was Jesus who came from his throne and the glories in heaven in humility. And he fully merited our praises and the praises of heaven itself. In Revelation 5, the whole heavenly realm shouts, Worthy 
is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And yet Jesus humbly pursued the will of the Father rather than his own for the sake of the Father's glory. Out of his eternal love, the Father gave him everything. Jesus rightly required glory from the Father in order to glorify the Father through what was given to him. Because he goes on and he says, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And again in chapter 3, the same idea. I think this is the heart of the gospel. In fact, this is the driving message. This is the story, the love story behind the gospel. It's It's a love of the father for his son that drives the whole thing. The Father loves the Son and has given into His hand everything. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. The glory of Christ is wrapped up in the authority given to Him by the Father over all flesh to single out and call to Himself the elect those whom the Father gave him out of the world before time began. He referred to that already in chapter chapter 10. My sheep, those given me, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. We're talking about an intimate personal knowledge an intimate relationship, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. And no one, no one will snatch them out of my hand. The Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus then inserts this important point. It's not parenthetical. I mean, you could say that it's all in a by the way, but this is important. This is important as we're speaking about eternal life. This is eternal life, that they know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Intimate relationship with Jesus and the Father in perfect union are the heart of what it means to have eternal life. To know them intimately, deeply, through the truth of the gospel is what every, to the gospel is what eternal life and every aspect of eternal life is all about. And so Jesus inserts this statement out of his unity with the Father and for our sake, so that we understand the infinite greatness of God's truly deep love for us. To know Him is to love Him. This is why Paul prayed repeatedly for the church, for the churches to grow in the knowledge of God. And we've heard that and we've read that before. 
to really experience the joys of eternal life. Do you know the why, that's why that God gave us the law in the first place? The law was given to enjoy the blessings of what grace was already given. Do you understand that? Do you know where it starts? When we go back to both Deuteronomy 5 and Exodus 20, it starts with, I am the Lord your God who delivered you. You're already delivered, and so everything that follows is just a worshipful response to that and how we Embrace that and live in that, in the joy of what we have received. To know God and to love Him. This is, again, why Paul prayed that we know God all the more and keep knowing Him better and better. This isn't merely head knowledge. The term used here, both in the Greek and also the similar term used in the Hebrew for knowing God, the Father, and Jesus Christ is the most intimate word that could possibly be used for any kind of a relationship. For anyone who knows someone, to really know someone. It's a very intimate, personal knowledge unmatched by any other. So then Jesus goes on in verse 4 and he says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. I finished. I finished the work you gave me to do on earth. In that I glorified you. The glory of Christ then is also wrapped up in his finished work even before he went to the cross. The death of Christ would not be sufficient to save us apart from the life that he lived for us. We are saved from sin and given eternal life by both his substitutionary death as well as his substitutionary life. This is why Paul referred to him as the second Adam. A transaction took place on the cross. Jesus took the curse due to our sin and in exchange through faith in him gave us the credit for his own righteousness that he lived out in our behalf due to his sinless life. He came to undo Adam's failure by submitting in perfect obedience to the Father in total dependence on him. And he claimed no credit for a single word he spoke or a single work that he did. He stated that repeatedly throughout the gospel. Examples, John 4, 30, all taken from John, by the way. Because again, he's wanting to get this idea expressed that's in this prayer. I think that prayer, he heard that, it stuck in his mind. I think he memorized it. He had that set aside long before he wrote this gospel. And it just, it just, it just flowed out of this. 
My food, Jesus said in John 4, 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. In 5, verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. I hear and I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will but the will of him who sent me. And in, and in 6, verses 38 and following, I'll just take a short section of it. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Twice, Jesus said, it is finished. Here, before the cross, and again, from the cross. And in both He is glorified on the earth. The context also tells us the work that he finished from the cross that was a necessary part of his purpose, and I will only reference them briefly since they will be elaborated on sermons to follow. In verses 6 and 7, right after he uh, says this, Well, one more verse after he says this. He clarifies what exactly um, he had in mind. He says, I manifested your name to the people you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. So you see, Jesus laid the foundation for the church and for the spread of the gospel before Giving his life for her, he gave his life to her and prepared her for glory. Finally, in verse 5, Jesus looks forward to his eternal glory in the presence of the Father in heaven. And for good reason. This is, after all, where he came from. He glorified the Father on the earth, and now he's ready to return to his former glory, which was always his before the world began, which was stated earlier. He says, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence which, with, the, with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. The glory of Christ is wrapped up in his union with the Father in their glory. The glory of Christ is wrapped up in his union with the Father in glory. Equal shared glory. And that is of great benefit to us as we grow in fellowship with God and learn what it is to be one in thought, purpose, and love by knowing Him more deeply through His Word, through prayer, through trust in Him. To know that Christ is glorified increases our hope and our assurance because it testifies to His sufficiency as our Redeemer. That Jesus 
is glorified testifies that God is fully satisfied. That Jesus is glorified testifies that God is fully satisfied. And there is no wrath left for us because Jesus took it all. And that's huge. Here again, John's gospel is driven by this idea of the eternal glory of Christ from the very start. This is why he started it the way he did, not like any of the other gospel accounts. He reaches back into the eternal. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him, Not anything was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the word then, dropping down to verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Because Jesus is glorified and seated with the Father in glory, John goes on even in his first letter with similar language, with this very personal invitation. I'll close with this. This very personal invitation to all of us. And it's a beautiful thing starts out sounding very much like the gospel at the very beginning. And that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which was which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship, this is what you're getting into, you see, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be you pray with me. The Lord, make our joy complete by bringing each one home to you. That's what you came for. Oh, Lord, help us to pursue you with a passion to know you better and better. That you would be glorified in us in your church and that you would glorify your son in our midst. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.